from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. And we're talking uh, with CNF Technologies about their launch of a cyber lab at Port San Antonio today. And I'm joined by Steve Barish, the Chief Operating Officer at CNF. Thank you, Steve, for joining us. You bet. Thanks for having me today. Yeah. This is a great opportunity. So if you're going to stay in your car listening on 1200 WAI, or if you're listening via the iHeartRadio streaming app, that's great. Uh, if you uh, are going to... Uh, not be able to stick with us for the hour here and you do want to hear this it'll go up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on tuesday august the 27th it'll also go up there with uh, all of our past episodes uh including uh, a bunch of discussion uh, with folks from port san antonio if you wanted to learn about what it is and why the heck a cybersecurity company would be at a port uh and then uh, we've also uh, had folks from uh, cnf on um gosh i guess almost uh two years ago now uh, we had Andy uh, come on the program and talk about some of the things that they were working on back then so you can check that out um, and if you uh, prefer to uh, listen via podcasting app uh, we're out there on every podcasting app on the internet and I'll say every with an asterisk if uh, there's a podcasting service you use that uh, you enjoy listening to programs on where you do not find CyberTalk Radio uh, reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter at CyberTalk Radio let us know and we will get you a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt uh, along with fixing that so you can enjoy our program on your podcast service of choice so uh with that uh, intro here out of the way steve um what are you guys up to now with this uh i guess the project tech building that's out there um is full now and, and you guys are taking some space down in that building yeah it's actually a really exciting time to be at cnf technologies an exciting time in cyber in san antonio in general as i think pretty much everybody knows we're about the fastest growing um source of expertise and talent for cybersecurity in the country. So CNF is really pleased to be a part of that. We're excited to be the only local company currently in Project Tech, and it looks like that's going to be that way for the foreseeable future. Uh, it's a great flagship sort of uh, facility for us, and we're looking forward to building out the rest of the lab and uh, putting about somewhere between 50 and 75 people in there over the next two, three months, and then another 40 or 50 over the next six months to a year. So uh, right now, it sounds like you're hiring. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, where would folks go to uh, look up those roles? And then we can talk a little bit about it. Just like what are the skill sets you're looking for? And, and if they wanted to get education in this, if they didn't have one, where where was some sources where you're hiring folks from? Well, one of the exciting parts about being in a really high growth company is all of your infrastructure kind of lags your growth. So I would tell everybody to keep an eye on our website at uh, cnftech.com. But also check us out on LinkedIn. You can probably see us there with more frequent advertisements as what kind of talent we're looking for. Uh, we are currently looking for engineering talent, computer science talent, people that understand software-defined radios, FPGA technology, and people who like trying to break things, frankly. We probably are going to hire somewhere between 20 and 30 uh, computer scientists, software developers, really low-level people, as well as uh, C programmers. I think we need to put about 30 of those in place at Project Tech over the next two, three months, and then from there we'll continue growing, I think. Yeah. And so you're looking for folks coming out of some of our uh, NSA and DHS certified cyber programs here across the area? We've had fantastic luck 
hiring from UTSA, for instance. They have a great program there in both the College of Computer Science and the cybersecurity program in the College of Business is pretty strong as well. That's the NSA certified program. Yeah. We're beginning to pick up some computer engineers and electrical engineers out of those programs. And it's fun working with those kids. They really don't realize at this point in their career just how good they are and how well-rounded they are. We're also hiring out of St. Mary's, uh, Trinity, really any local organization here in town, any educational institution here in town. We also have a very high preponderance of veterans in our company, as you would expect for a company that deals in national security solutions. Yeah. So... You know, one of the things I should stress, and I have this conversation every time we talk about openings at CNF Technologies, is candidates always say, how do I get into this business if I don't already have a security clearance? And the beautiful thing about what we're doing right now is most of the positions we're hiring for don't immediately require people to have a pre-existing security clearance. You know, you can come in and learn to exploit malicious code. You can develop low-level device drivers. You can work with hardware and reverse engineering and exploitation. And you can do all of that without going to jail. And without a security clearance. Yeah. So it's a great place for people that are coming into our profession to evaluate whether that's a long-term fit for them before they have to make a commitment to obtaining a clearance. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I, yeah, so I guess you guys have contracts that require both uh, secret work and, and other contracts, which are just research projects, which do not require that. That's absolutely true. In fact, that's one of the exciting things about CNF is we're right in the middle of a pivot from being sort of a traditional services contractor where you would put all of your people at the government spaces and they'd all have to be cleared and probably veterans to more of a research and development science and technology company. We are constantly evaluating emerging technologies that come out of the research community or out of academia and we're doing a lot of great transition work to figure out how to professionalize and complete them and turn them over to warfighters to evaluate. We actually just finished a really interesting program involving uh, DARPA, for those who don't speak three-letter acronyms, even though that's a four-letter acronym, it's the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Uh, the local folks at uh, San Antonio, at Port San Antonio in the 24th and 25th Air Force, and uh, also NAV Cyber. And uh, some partners of ours at Kudu Dynamics actually generated really neat technology that automatically generates exploits. And then we had operators come in and figure out how to professionalize and transition them. And our people provided all of the range support, all the facilities right there in Project Tech so that we can collaborate on these kinds of ideas and accelerate the ability of presenting capabilities from years down to weeks or maybe even days. I think we pr produced 17 unique capabilities in 48 hours using a team of government folks and contractor folks with no a priori knowledge of the attack surface or of the actual technology or the underlying networks. It was pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's great stuff. I think for listeners out there, you, you may have heard of the DARPA challenge. Uh, I think they're still running a different challenge every year, uh, but they, they picked up a, a lot of press maybe about a decade ago running the DARPA challenge with the self-driving vehicles and the they had a race across the desert out in California and then they tried some urban ones and other things, but this was where uh, the government was funding a lot of self-driving vehicle research back through this DARPA challenge, I guess, yeah, maybe a decade or even more so ago now. Um, and then they've, they've kind of gone back out of the, the mainstream press that the, the mainstream media picked up and, and covered a good amount of that self-driving stuff because it was fun to watch a buggy try to drive across a desert. But a lot of the, the things, they're still doing great research. It's just not as, as sexy for the, the average uh, listener or viewer on TV these days. That's absolutely true. Now, if you are happen to be like a uh, you know, like a 
radio nerd or if you're really into spectrum collaboration type things where devices auto navigate how they use the radio frequency spectrum, CNF is actually part of the team that's putting on this year's spectrum collaboration challenge at the Los Angeles Coliseum. So we're actually facilitating our, we and our partners, I should say, we have several subcontractors that are actually doing a lot of that visualization work, are going to be helping the government assess and monitor what's actually happening as these devices start working, you know, working out how to use the airwaves without stepping on each other. So what you're saying is you're, you're helping us make our 5G better so I can stream HD video to my cell phone reliably. Yeah, more more for me. You're trying to help it to where XM radio doesn't drop out every time you drive past a cell tower. So Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of spots here in town, yeah, where uh, I certainly uh, have my, my satellite radio in my car drops off Dies. yeah yeah and it's not spots i guess where i would expect it where you can't even i don't even know that i can see the antennas from where i'm going by but it's uh i'm sure they're there somewhere yeah it's always ironic that when you get to the highest places in town that's where your most interference is at so yeah it's kind of counterintuitive yeah interesting so steve talking uh on those uh roles and skills so you mentioned kind of c programming and um computer science degrees, uh, are there any specific certifications out there? Do you guys look for the ones from SANS or uh, ISC squared or are those different uh, certifying bodies that are trying to help uh, people quantify their professional skills? So that's a great question, both from the perspective of what we're looking to hire right now and also for all the listeners who kind of want to get into this business, uh, especially mid-career professionals who've said, hey, you know, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up, but it might be more in the cyber world. So yeah. first and foremost, we are always hiring security analysts. I mean, I don't think we ever have a month go by that we're not looking for, for somebody to come in and monitor networks and look for vulnerabilities, look for attackers and help remediate them. Those jobs are really going to demand a security plus certification from CompTIA and generally also require a certified ethical hacker. So those positions generally are going to require a Security Plus certification and a Certified Ethical Hacker certification. When you get into the more development-oriented uh, positions, those typically are going to require somebody with either a degree or a great deal of proficiency. We're generally able to figure out where people are kind of at in their career field when they come in for an interview. We typically will have them sit down with an engineer. But we're not specifically looking for any given development certification. What we're looking for is people who understand agile development methodology. Most of the younger folks in the career field do. Yeah. We're yeah. also looking for folks that have the right kind of brain, people who are looking to solve puzzles and fix problems. And believe it or not, that's a little bit more difficult to search for than just, you know, picking out the right certification. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. In some of these and um, hiring roles in the past, uh, we would do puzzle games just to see right. like here's a brand new game you've never seen before because we invented it here and we just want to see how do you do on this this puzzle game and then some of the hr folks got not very happy about having <laughs> people do these these puzzle games uh, during an interview process so i was working for a, a large uh, employer then and we had to stop the the puzzle games but i mean that's really what you, you want folks that can come in look at a new problem that's got some um analytical aspect to it whether it's a game like 2048 that probably a lot of people have on their phone or other things like that if, if you can enjoy playing those things and enjoy figuring out what's the optimum way to slide your finger around there and sort the little bricks on 2048 then you're going to enjoy digging through all the little piece parts of of, of these computer systems as well to figure out yeah, how do you navigate through all the blocks there 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, we we frequently will ask people to talk about the kinds of challenges that motivate them. A lot of people have uh, prior art, especially our college students. And so you get a chance to talk with them about what was the difficult part of that or how would you solve a particular problem like a hypothetical problem. Yeah. I, I had a great example of that a couple of years ago. A gentleman came in and flunked every programming test put in front of him. Software engineer and, and developer for the last 20 years flunked yeah. every development test there was. And my reverse engineering team said, this guy's dumb as a post. We have no interest in hiring him whatsoever. And I said, well, why don't you go ask him how he would solve one of the hard problems on your project instead of asking him to write Hello World in some obscure language on his resume? Well, the takeaway was they were looking for some encrypted coefficients for a particular algorithm stuffed away someplace in, in uh, solid-state memory. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the end the result of that was he was able to say, well, I don't know for sure where you're going to solve the problem, but it can only be in one of two or three places and walked them through the rationalization of how you do that. The way you solve a problem, the way you set the problem up, the way you think critically about how to make progress, that's a skill that we're really interested in a whole lot more than somebody who can just come in and reproduce lines of code. Yeah, You don't necessarily learn that in college. I think some of that is things that people are exposed to in the programs that they get into away from college. There's a great one at UTSA. CNF is actually a sponsor of it called Rowdy Hacks. For those who don't know Rowdy Hacks, it's a 24-hour sort of hackathon where you get a bunch of college students together, a bunch of college students together. They go down and they form teams and they decide what they're going to build from end to end and create a demonstrable project in 24 hours. And it's really fun. I got a chance to be a mentor and judge last year. Andy Pilato, who was on your show, was a mentor and a number of other, other, our other employees. And it's fantastic to watch these young minds work. You can see the kids that really get it right out the gate. And a lot of times it takes a couple or three of those kinds of projects before they begin to think, hey, I could really create something new here. Uh, so that's an example for, you know, you mentioned earlier, how do people get noticed? That's a great way for college kids all across the town to get noticed. Think about Rowdy Hacks when it comes around in 2020 and look for the CNF challenge that's going to be there. Yeah, or look for, and I guess related to that, there's a, a number of capture the flag type events um, right. that happen here at different security meetups and groups. Um, check out and, and look those up. And there's a number of them that that continue online on a regular basis. I, I'm not a follower, but I'll, I would not surprise me that there's a subreddit that's all about different capture the flag projects running all over the internet all the time. And you could uh, go learn and see if you have fun doing those or not. Yeah. I mean the, the huge one every year at DEF CON uh, certainly, I guess probably where it really started from a competition perspective. Uh, God, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 years ago. Now. At least it feels that. like it's, yeah, mm -hmm. it's been going on for a while. My, my gray hair and my beard is a, uh, starting to date me it's starting hard when things are more than a decade in the past it's hard now to tell when something really started when it really happened that's right yeah it's it certainly i guess it's definitely been more than 20 years because i think i was at devcon in maybe 2000 or 2001 and it, it wasn't the first or second ctf uh back then i was gonna say it's been more than 20 years since i participated so i know it's been going on a long long time before that yeah uh, and, and so I, I think this is another one as well where like uh, many of these uh, folks are going through a development boot camp uh, and then they're wondering why because I have conversations with all sorts of folks of like how they they're not able to go from that boot camp to get hired into one of these types of roles. And I guess one of the things I talk with them about is 
most of the roles in this cyber software development are not, as you said, sit down and be able to write a bunch of code, which is what you learn in the boot camp. You learn how to turn business requirements into software. Um, what we're often looking for on the cybersecurity side of programming is folks that have high college level math. You're looking to be able to figure out, yeah, where, uh, well, first, which coefficients in this encryption might actually be useful. And then tying that high level math in with some understanding of, um, computer engineering, um, along with the ability to then understand operating systems and memory managers. So you could figure out as you walk through the, the different pieces, as you get back to Steve's example, he said that that a developer with 20 years of experience kind of piece down that if those numbers are stored somewhere, they're in these two or three different places. And if you don't have understanding of how the operating system does memory management and how the, the actual chips in the system handle things and paging and all the rest of it, you're, you're not going to get there. And that's not the type of information you are going to learn in 14 weeks at a boot camp. That's all right. You know, I do think though, you know, we hire a lot of youngsters out of the boot camps. I shouldn't say a lot. We hire several every year out of one of the different boot camps and a lot of them work out really, really well for you mentioned, you know, business analytics as an example or yeah. business process rationalization within software. I think the boot camps are really good at putting They're out that kind of people. Yeah. Where where we run into, I think, some challenges is a lot of the people that come out of the boot camps haven't had any practical exposure to deeper, more analytically focused programming challenges. And, um, and that's tough. You can't learn that stuff in 14 weeks. All you can learn is the basic tools. So I put the challenge actually on my peers at other companies because I think we do a really bad job in our industry of telling everybody, well, just go look at the candidate's GitHub repository, and that's where you're going to find out whether they can code or not. Yeah. Well, the reality is, if you do that, you lose an awful lot of candidates. For one, you've got a lot of very senior people who just don't do that yeah. because they're not the kind of people who go home at night and code some more. Yeah. You've got a lot of young, particularly females, young mothers or young ladies transitioning careers who don't have a tremendous amount of repository of common body of knowledge out there on GitHub because, frankly, they're too busy running their family or doing whatever else they're doing. Yeah. So you do a disservice, I think, to your company when you turn away candidates that way. So what we try to do is you know, we want to see enough on the resume that gets us to say, I wonder if that person can develop. So here's, here's the big secret nobody in my business wants to tell anybody is developers are in such high demand that almost anybody who can make a credible claim that they can code is going to get at least some kind of a touch point with a company. And at that point, it's incumbent, incumbent upon us to see if we can figure out how to make that person work out and how to leverage their skill sets. That's one of the things I think we do differently. You know, when I look at hiring somebody, I'm not looking at hiring them for a specific position or a specific contractor or a specific customer. I'm looking at how does their brain work? How are their interpersonals? What's this person's work ethic like? What's their aptitude for development? That's why we tend to hire people and retain them. You know, we have a 15-year track record of maintaining almost 95% retention. We've never laid a single person off yeah. for any reason. Yeah, so not doing what some other folks in your industry do, and it's a perfectly ra reasonable business model, but they'll hire seasonal workers. Effectively, they That's use exactly. that employment t t tied to a specific contract, and as long as that contract is around, yeah. then that worker stays around. But if that contract's gone, they're then gone. they're gone. Yeah, and I think you lose out on a tremendous amount of talent that way because you're always looking and thinking short-term. And... 
you know, so for my peers who may or may not be listening, I think y'all need to rethink that because what my experience has been is by building a professional workforce that wants to stay there and develop them, their own tech, uh, technical acumen and abilities, you end up with a whole lot more leverage. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and I'm joined by Steve Barish, the Chief Operating Officer of CNF Technologies. We've been talking about their some of their growth out at Port San Antonio. If you uh, just hopped in your car now or turned on your iHeartRadio streaming app on your Android iOS device or through your web browser at www.iheartradio.com, uh, then thank you for tuning in. Uh, you can hear that full conversation Steve and I had up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, August 27th. It'll also uh, go up on all the podcasting services out there all across the Internet. Uh, so, uh, Steve, as we've been uh, talking about uh, these uh, roles and the educational uh, opportunities. Um, I know, I guess, when we had Andy on the program, I don't remember if we talked about your involvement at CNF with Cyber Patriot, but can you share for our, our listeners out here a little bit about that? You bet. So Andy Pilato, our CTO, helped start a Cyber Patriot program over at Warren High School and has been mentoring them for quite some time. You know, what we find is it just takes people a little bit of time and mentorship to start understanding how security works, especially in the context of the risk assessment and remediation that goes on in Cyber Patriot. Warren has done fantastic and uh, really has kind of stabilized and grown a, a wonderful program. We're looking to expand that model and start finding other high schools, predominantly on the south side and the east side, that could use a little bit of mentoring and a little bit of opportunity to really help some of these kids understand the real need for professionals in this area. And if we can just get a few of them to get started, it'd be a wonderful thing. You know, they're very, as you know, very lucrative positions yeah. and a great career. And the number one problem we have in cybersecurity anywhere in the country, but especially here in San Antonio, is available talent. So we have to create some of our own. Yeah, and I mean, I think it, it's great out there to see the number of programs uh, that we have going in Cyber Patriot. And for first-time listeners, it's a team sport at the middle school and high school level uh, where uh, you defend against cyber attacks. Um, so you, you plan a team, you have uh, matches in a league, and then you can go all the way through to a national championship uh, tournament uh, where you could get an all-expense-paid trip back to the uh, Maryland area uh, to compete live in a big finale we had a f i think three teams from our san antonio uh region uh, that it went out to uh, nationals here this year and uh, one of them came back with a, a trophy so it's pretty awesome stuff great opportunity um and uh, as steve and i have been talking about many more jobs uh, in cybersecurity than there are jobs in football <laughs> that's exactly right <laughs> yeah so uh if you if your son or daughter goes to a uh, school in the area that has a football team but it does not have a cyber patriot team uh, please reach out to your administration at the school um, it all it takes is uh, one sponsor there and the the faculty and then they can work with cyber texas foundation who will uh, help them with everything else they need to do onboarding wise to get that program up and going um, so they can start fielding teams and uh, giving kids an opportunity to learn uh, cyber security and competitive team sports uh, environments we're going to take a uh, quick break here for a news traffic and weather update at the bottom of the hour um, when we get back uh, one thing that i was uh, like making sure that all of our guests share especially folks that have, have reached the the points in their career that uh, folks have like steve uh, we'll get a little bit of his background how did he end up as the chief operating officer for a, a cybersecurity company because uh, there's always a story there it's it, most often it's it's not just uh 
he was born and, and out of the womb, he was doing elliptical curve math in his head and then and, and straight on through to cybersecurity. It's never quite a straight line like that. So we'll, we'll cover that with Steve uh, as long and, and as well as talking about um, the things that uh, CNF is working on. I know they've been covered in some of the other local media here, kind of the, the growth we're seeing in this industry in San Antonio. Uh, and maybe a little bit of uh, predicting the future and some other things on where is this all headed? Um, and what are we working on today? But um, what things, if you're already in the industry, should you start studying and looking at now? Because um, technology is not standing still. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and we will be back here after a news, traffic, and weather update. If you're listening on a podcast, it'll be right back to us because the news, traffic, and weather on Saturday, August 24th is not going to be so relevant to you. Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. And I'm talking with Steve Barish, the COO of CNF Technologies this week, uh, all about uh, what they're working on. They've got a new cyber lab uh, out at Port San Antonio. If you wanted to hear about that initial conversation, uh, check us out on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. It'll go up on Tuesday, August the 27th. Uh, It'll also go out to all the podcasting services all across the internet. If you have a favorite podcasting service where you do not see CyberTalk Radio, please let us know on Facebook or Twitter. We'll fix that, and we will get you a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt. By the way, the only other way to get a t-shirt is uh, if we we throw a third anniversary birthday party, maybe we'll give some t-shirts out at the party again, um, or to become and join us as a guest on the program. But these are uh, limited edition t-shirts. You could also start your own podcasting service, and then our program won't be there yet, but... Uh, that's about, uh, I think, the only ways you can go out there. If you can find one where, that we've not found yet, I would like to know. We've, we've been scouring the Internet for them. Uh, and it's amazing how many different podcasting services there are out there. So, uh, Steve, as, as we were, were headed into break, you said you, you, uh, you got tricked into cybersecurity. I did. I did. It was completely by accident. Okay. Well, sort of by accident. You know, I remember, so first off, I probably got, like a lot of people, my real beginning in cybersecurity was just by finding ways to play malicious jokes. But that was pre-1985 when it was not illegal. Yeah. Once the Computer Security Act of 1985 kind of came along and then, you know, I had a friend actually get arrested, I said, I need to find a new hobby. Yeah. And so uh, there was about a 10-year hiatus there where I just did a little bit of research on the side. But once I got to college, I I kept seeing these news stories about this cool place in San Antonio, Texas called back then the Information Warfare Center, the Air Force Information Warfare Center, and how they were starting to pioneer the idea of catching people using assets illegally. And um, about that time also, I want to say it was uh, Cliff Stoll out at uh, University of New Mexico detected a pretty major Russian infiltration in the network. And I just got really excited about it. I said, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And uh, I was an ROTC cadet in the Air Force at the time. And I had what I like to call a George W. Bush level transcript. So I was not necessarily anywhere close to the midpoint of the class. And uh, the Air Force said, no, you can't do that. You have to go do other things. So I 
I found myself working in uh, satellite systems engineering and multispectral analysis for a few years. Oh, you're doing okay. They didn't make you go paint rocks. No, I I, I didn't do bad. Don't okay. get me wrong. They, yeah. they spent a lot of money to send me to get a very average degree. And then they said, we're going to get some back. So after a while, I ended up uh, in flight test where I was actually testing command and control and communication systems, secure communication systems, and finding interesting ways to break them. And I, it turns out after you break enough things that are expensive, people look at you and they think, well, either you're dumb as a post and you need to go away, or maybe we should harness some of that talent and figure out why things keep breaking whenever this guy's around. And I happened to be in the last group. And um, that led to being recruited to a unit here in then Kelly Air Force Base in the Information Warfare Center. And I was like, wow, self-fulfilling prophecy. I actually ended up exactly where I always wanted to be. It just took about seven or eight years. And um, once I was here, it was the kind of deal where they call you on the phone and they say, hey, we've got a job for you. And you say, cool, what is yeah. it? And they say, can't tell you. Yeah. And I said, well, where is it? And they said, it's in San Antonio. And I said, I don't know if I want to go to San Antonio. What else is out there? And they said, Guam. I said, San Antonio sounds great. Yeah. So we moved here in 1998, fell in love with the town. I had the best time in the early, uh, early phases of sort of the public coming out of cybersecurity. And um, that's where I met my uh, boss and the founder of our company, Fred Ramirez. Uh, he was actually working in the Information Warfare Center at the time as a civilian, and I was a young captain. And we worked side by side and in near proximity to each other in different areas of the mission for about three or four years. Uh, when he left the government, I think he left about six months or so before I did. And then I left, uh, resigned my commission and went to work in industry. And I think within the next six months to a year, we started collaborating across company lines. He, sometimes I would be his subcontractor, sometimes he would be mine. And the end result of that was after, I guess, about 15 years or 17 years, um, uh, of doing that, and he had founded CNF during that period in time. Uh, we met up at a coffee shop one day, and, and I was asking him how things were going, and, and he was saying they were kind of ready to start taking a little bit more risk and trying to uh, grow the company a little bit more aggressively, and that's sort of what my background had become by then, was really very entrepreneurial and building high-growth teams. And um, so I... I kind of jotted out some bullet points on a piece of notebook paper and said, you know, here's some ideas you might think about employing. He said, I don't want to do any of that. It's too much like work. And I said, well, I would be glad to do that. So that's how I ended up over at CNF. It was completely by accident. And um, it was the absolute best decision I've ever made. You know, uh, I've known Fred and Roxanne Ramirez for two decades now. Just great people. Real wonderful story. You ought to have them on sometime to talk about their background and how they got into this business. But they're exactly what the American dream is all about. Uh, a local family who built something with their own hands out of their own pocketbook, and it's become an amazing success story in San Antonio. You know, he started this company in 2005 with $10,000 of his own money. Like who does that in in you know modern day America? There's all these venture capitalists and investment funds, et cetera. Not Fred. He said, "I'm gonna start this with my money. I'm gonna be beholden to no one, and I'm gonna do it the right way." And it has become the most mission focused, employee centric kind of place I can imagine working. The degree to which the Ramirez's will go to support our customers 
and more importantly, our staff is unbelievable. Yeah. So it's been a, like I say, it was completely accidental to become the chief operating officer. It was a lot about, I think, the mentorship I got along the way and um, an awful lot of lucky opportunities that just happened to go right. I, I tell everybody that I work with that you do have to prepare yourself to take advantage of those opportunities when they come along. But I, I think for those folks who are sitting there saying, I'm interested in a career in cybersecurity, or those folks who are maybe mid-career professionals thinking about, well, how do I make a transition into becoming an executive? I, I think a lot of that is preparing yourself to have the tools for when that opportunity shows up and then cultivating your network. And uh, when the opportunity finally does come along, you have to double down and kill it because you might not get more than one. And uh, if you just happen to get lucky and be in the right place at the right time like I was, then great things can happen for you. Yeah. Yeah, for those, uh, I mean, on making that transition out of uh, technical expert into executive, uh, go find an accounting class and find a business law class. And just absolutely those uh, all the rest of everything else you can kind of learn on your uh, on your other. But if you don't understand how an income statement, a cash flow statement and a balance sheet works, you can't really run anything at an executive level and if you don't understand when and where that line is um, acceptable on the risk side of things and you can't have a, a thoughtful discussion with your legal counsel uh, about things uh, from a business law perspective you're going to have a hard time functioning at the executive level i completely agree with that I, I tell you there's three other things i would do the one is i would buy there's two books i would buy one is called the next level by scott eblin it's a fantastic book on how to stop uh, st how to stop exhibiting behaviors that were successful as a direct contributor but hold you back as an executive the other one is by marshall goldsmith and by the way anything by marshall goldsmith is amazing and it's called what got you here won't get you there and it's one of the best books on changing your behaviors and understanding your behaviors and and how they facilitate your effectiveness or not um, you mentioned business law. I think that's fantastic. I, I think the other thing I'm really fond of now is risk management. Yeah, it is. Uh, it dovetails into our industry for one, but for two, it's one of the most poorly understood skills in, and and I think any industry. But the art of risk management is really important. And um, uh, the third thing I would say is never stop associating with learning from and researching all of the technical details that got you the opportunity to make that transition. You'll find as time goes on that you won't be as proficient or as current as the people that work for you. But if you don't take an interest in the technology that enables your industry, then real quickly, your people who are immersed in it don't take an interest in you. Yeah, you, you can't have a conversation anymore. You can't. And they lose confidence in you. So I, I feel strongly you have to maintain all of that. And that little bit about overcoming the paradigm of learned helplessness you know yeah. learning not to do the things that made you successful that now hold you back is an amazingly important concept i tell people this way just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you are the right person to do that thing focus your energy on the things that are the most important and the most impactful yeah and just because you can do something better than someone on your team does also does not mean you should do it. Most of the time it means you, <laughs> you should shouldn't. not do it and you should be coaching them so that they can do it <laughs> better exactly than you can. Right. That's yeah, exactly That's right. where the high level individual contributors have 
especially in detail-oriented worlds, have a very hard time moving from individual contributor to team builder um, because there's going to be a wide variety of people and skill sets and backgrounds and experience in your team, and they're not all going to be at the level you're at right now. Yeah, you're exactly right. And we have a running joke at CNF where I tell everybody my goal is to trip, you know, to train and prepare people to where I can get fired because yeah. they, they think I'm joking. But I tell them, you know, if I can build four or five people that do what I do, a hundred times better than I do, then I get to sit around the office and drink coffee, eat donuts, make PowerPoint charts. No one's going to read. And it's awesome. Yeah. No, it's a, I work on it every day to where, uh, hopefully I'm useless around here pretty soon. Exactly. Yeah. That's the goal. Um, so as we're, we're talking through this, um, one of the, the other things, uh, so if, if you're out there and maybe you're one of our, our high school or college student listeners. So, uh, we were talking during that bottom of the hour break at CNF runs some internships and I, we've just wrapped up this summer. Um, but if folks were interested in an internship at CNF, like where do they, they go to talk to you all about that? You know, the best thing to do is to, uh, well, so if you're at UTSA, you can actually work through the university. They have both internship programs that they're working with us, and they also have, um, we also offer scholarships through the university. So that's a good way of getting an entry there. For some of our students in across San Antonio and the listening area who are working into a military career through college, ROTC, uh, we offer internships. Well, I should say we have a partnership with the Griffiths Institute up in Rome, New York, who offers internships to folks that are involved in ROTC. And I think we had six or seven of those young people come through this summer where we will partner them up with engineering teams. If you're interested in that, I would say grab a copy of your college transcripts, put together a rough resume, and send it to hr at cnftech.com and, you know, subject line, looking for an internship in 2020. Yeah. Uh, Heard about it on CyberTalk Radio. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're full up probably until then, but, you know, next summer we'll be looking to hire folks. And we look at it this way. It's an extended job interview. In fact, a lot of times what happens with us is folks come in in, you know, June, and they'll work for us for eight weeks full-time, and then they've got to go back, or 10 weeks full-time, and then they've got to go back to school, and we'll keep them on as part-time employees. And I think we've converted 100% of those folks to employees over the life of the program. Yeah. So. And for those employers out there in the listening audience, again, I mean, this is another great example of one of our companies here that's running internship programs and using that to create great full-time employees for them going forward. Um, so internships are not a hundred percent public service. They also, uh, help us from the business perspective. Cause as uh, Steve and I've been talking about, um, there's not just an infinite line of people uh, waiting for all these jobs we have open. You, you have to go do work to curate and build and develop a reputation and uh, a pipeline. Yeah. And it's really critical, I think, to recognize the fact that, in a, you know, as an employer, you're always looking at how do I run my business effectively? And we can't support our clients if we can't recruit good, talented folks who can deliver. Well, those folks aren't readily available. You know, there's a finite number of them in San Antonio. And so we do run nation nationwide recruiting campaigns. But at some point in time, you look at it and you think, I don't really know that I want to take the risk of recruiting a kid from California or Colorado to come to San Antonio. Because if they decide I don't like Texas or I don't like San Antonio, I invest all this time and energy in them, yeah. and then they might leave. So we're trying to build pipelines here in the town, starting from high school and college and looking for people who have been stationed here and love it and want to want to separate from the military and stay here. You know, 
once you get people that are immersed in the culture and in the community, then they can find a home. And once they find a home, you can make a long-term career for them. That's a big deal to us, trying to make a long-term career for every person that comes in the front door. Yeah. So it was, uh, well, I, well, segue here in the program a little bit. So you mentioned a uh, front door. So uh, during that bottom of the hour break as well, we were talking about the smart home versus dumb home. <laughs> uh, and, and so you, you said you were having this conversation about, uh, and I'm paraphrase it here real quick and let you real tell the whole story, but things that are dumb want to be smart and some, some along there. So can you, you sh- yeah, share this yeah. one on air? This will be a, a, a fun one to talk through. Where are we headed with security risks in our home? Basically is kind of what we were chatting about that led into this story time. Yeah, I think it's a, it's it's kind of bizarre to me. You know, I'm a member of the last generation that grew up before there was an internet. So if I wanted to get in my front door, I better get home. I didn't have a key, so I had to get home when Dad said I had to get home or I wasn't getting in. It was that yeah, simple. Yeah, lock right? the door and leave a pillow on the porch so if I you're lucky. A, yeah, so I've got a teenager now who wants everything to be smart. He says, I, I want a smart lock, you know, so I can open it with my iPhone and I want to be able to open the garage. And, and I'm like, man, I'm just... I'm uncomfortable enough having the little button to push on my dash, you know? Yeah. So it, it, it does put me in that position of, you know, a, a wannabe Luddite, you know, or, you know, a dinosaur. But uh, I look at it as a risk factor. I mentioned risk management earlier. Yeah. So that's one of the foundational disciplines within cybersecurity if you're a youngster getting started is start thinking about all the ways that things can go wrong. Every single one of those devices that wants to communicate with us or with each other is doing it based on some protocol or paradigm that its developers came up with that you are completely ignorant of. Yeah. And in many cases, that no one has actually assessed. And so the concern that I have is, you know, geez, do we live in this future where, you know, I remember the days when you could, for about three or four bucks, create a blue box and call internationally for free. Yeah. I remember the days when I could take about seven or ten dollars from Radio Shack, I could buy all the parts, but heck, there are other people in that business. I could buy parts and I could create a garage door opener that would roll codes all day long. And I could get in any place I wanted to. So I don't think we're very far away from that now. I think we live there now. We were talking during the break. There's people that are breaking into security camera video, baby camera video. Yeah. You really have to have a plan when you put these devices in your home and think about how I'm going to protect myself and what kind of information I'm willing to expose on the internet. And sadly, everything's exposed to the internet nowadays. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting one, uh, for sure. Um, I mean, right now my toaster at the house is not a security risk, uh, (laughs) but I give it a while. And my, my coffee pot is not a security risk. It's a, it's a, I have a, I have a tea kettle and I have a French press, but I'll bet there's a bunch of our listeners out here in the audience that have a coffee pot that they can talk to from their smartphone. Um, and they can tell it to start making it or, uh, we put keep a, it warm or warm yeah. it, pot, warm it back up all those sorts of things from their cell phone. We put in a, a hot tub at the house last year, this year, and, uh, it's Wi-Fi enabled, and you can control it from your smartphone, and it freaks me out. I'm like, is somebody going to boil me when I'm out there on a Friday night? So, you know, I, everything that can communicate is something that you should assess what kind of personal risk I face. So I always give people a, a handful of pieces of advice. First off, you got to think about your personal information, your name, your Social Security number, your bank records, all of those key personal details that we expose to friends and family and apparently Facebook quizzes, 
Yes. But you should probably think about keeping private. So if it could ever be used to impersonate you or provide enough information to someone to pretend to be you, you probably don't need to share it with everyone that you don't know who logs in. The second thing is think about the kind of protections you're using, you know, for your house, you know, your front door, your back door, your lighting, your security cameras, if you have those, your alarm system. You know, if you put if you're already putting those things in, you have at least some perception that there is a threat that you're trying to mitigate. Well, it doesn't make a lot of sense to introduce more threat vectors without securing them if if you're already concerned about something. So employ some encryption. It's actually cheap for, to free yeah. and easy to do nowadays. And then finally is, you know, just ask yourself, do I really have to do that? I mean, sure, you, you could maybe achieve some productivity gains or maybe it's easier to change the channel by telling Alexa to do that. But does it really kill you to pick up the remote control yeah. or walk across the room? You know, nowadays we carry smartwatches that track all of our biometric data. And, oh. and maybe, and maybe they, the royal we or collective we or something yeah. out there. I, I'm wearing a, an old analog watch. Yeah. Well, I, I look at it and I think if you have to wear a watch that tells you to get up and walk, maybe you can afford to use a remote control. Yeah. Maybe you can answer your own door. We do have this really cool program where, um, so if you're familiar with FPGA technology and yeah. embedded systems, yeah. right? So it's really hard to create code for a given piece of hardware and then translate it to another FPGA because they typically, you know, if you learn one programming language and protocol, you've learned one. They're all unique. So we have this program where we're attempting to enable heterogeneous uh, injection of containerized code or compart uh, 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 component-based code into FPGAs regardless of whether the FPGA is natively supported or not. So think of it as like Java for embedded systems, for heterogeneous embedded systems. So yeah. we're, we're working on this program and I've got these kids who say, well, how do I learn it? And, and I said, well, it's pretty easy. Why don't you just go out and figure out how to make a, a computer controlled, you know, missile launcher that launches Nerf darts. And they're like, oh, that's a cool idea. I said, well, you can only do it if you can make it work in an FPGA. And they're like, dang it. So it's a way of hooking them. But projects like that, you know, any, you know, any high school or college kid could play with something like that if they were of a mind to. It's all open source. But I'd love to. I'd love to get an exploit, like a zero-day exploit program going. I used to do a lot of that with interns and with new grads, and uh, we always had really great successes. So as as we were kind of chatting off the air during one of our breaks, um, you know, with the ideas for internships so coming up is in tying into these consumer devices at the house and i know i've read news articles the big denial of service attack that hit uh, the eastern u.s and twit took twitter and a bunch of things down i guess this is probably two years ago now was was a a bunch of these webcams uh, from china they all got hacked they're all running some type of uh, embedded linux um, so maybe project for future interns is ordered a bunch of stuff off of one of these sites and see just how easy it is to to exploit these? Absolutely. I think that that'd be a, a great project. So something like that exercises your problem-solving ability and critical thinking ability. It probably makes you think about the right kind of tools. You know, how do I get a disassembler or a debugger? You know, something like AliDBG that is freeware or open source. And can I, can I start disassembling some of that code, figure out where the vulnerabilities are? I also think it'd be kind of fun to uh, have have young kids think about 
you know, unusual challenges. Like uh, I mentioned the Rowdy Hex thing earlier. Yeah. There's this interesting open source program called OpenCPI. And for my electrical engineering listeners, it basically wants to make you obsolete. So if you're a low-level hardware developer, digital signal processing person, or you build FPGA-based technologies, you know, you know that you're always writing code for one specific device. This new program, uh, OpenCPI, which we happen to be dabbling with right now, enables you to write code for multiple devices. And uh, it's kind of like Java for embedded systems. You write it once and it kind of runs everywhere. So I'd love to see kids figuring out how to do some of these hackathons using OpenCPI to have an FPGA control a radio or control a servo, yeah. you know, do some kind of network processing. A Nerf gun at their desk where they shoot their coworkers. That would be fantastic. I would actually pay somebody to do that. In fact, I think I gave that challenge to a couple of our entry-level employees. I still don't have a Nerf gun, by the way. So uh, when you send us your resume, if you put on it, I can make a Nerf gun fire from an FPGA. I guarantee you you're getting a job interview. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and uh, I've been joined uh, by the Chief Operating Officer of CNF Technologies. Uh, they're uh, located out at Port San Antonio uh, here on the west side of town. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining us on the program this week. If you uh, just hopped in your car right now and uh, have... It tuned to twelve hundred WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and I've been we've been talking uh, about cybersecurity for the last hour. You can check out more on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. Uh, you can also look us up on all the podcasting services out there across the internet, where you can uh, hear the replay of this episode and all of our past programs over the last three years, where we've covered uh, degree programs, Cyber Patriot, and much more, all across uh, the Central Texas area.